to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome or welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. So very pleased you could join us today uh, for what I'm sure is going to be another really stimulating conversation. Uh, We are in a series about how young people are transformed. The premise of our series is this, that the goal of youth ministry is to create the conditions in which young people can be continually transformed into the likeness of Christ. So in our first episode, we talked about that transformation pathway. If if you didn't listen to that one, go back, have a listen. We talked about the five things that uh, need to be present in our youth ministries if we want to see uh, young people be continually transformed to be more like Jesus. And then we started to break it down. We had an amazing conversation, didn't we, with Susie Aldridge. I, I loved that chat. I was so challenged by it. And we spoke about the renewing of your mind, about how how the things we take in through our eyes form us and shape us. And then what a great conversation we had last month with Jaren Oda as we spoke about uh, the disciplines of the spiritual life and how if we want to be transformed, we've got to take those things out of our minds and uh, habituate them into our bodies, uh, uh, as Jesus said, to hear these words of mine and put them into practice. And today uh, we're talking about people uh, or community. Here's, Here's the idea of today's conversation. We know that following Jesus It's not a solo sport, is it? It's in the context of the family of God that we're transformed. Because in our community, our our flaws are exposed in the company of people who will love us regardless. In community, we we spur one another on. We, We encourage one another to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And we know, don't we, that the truth is we become like the people with whom we surround ourselves for good and for bad. Uh, so so we want to be part of good Christian community, uh, people who will love us uh, exactly as we are, uh, but love us way too much to let us stay as we are. And we want to create youth ministries that do the same. And to talk about this theme of people, to talk about this theme of community, I am delighted to welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast, my friend, Phil Knox. Phil, welcome to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. What an absolute joy to be with you, Tim Alford. Uh, and what's particular joy, Phil, is that you're at, we're actually in the same room. Come on, the sun is shining. We're here. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like, usually record this, you know, uh, online. So it's so good to be sitting across the table from you, Phil. And, uh, and thank you uh, so much for joining us. So, Phil... Um, before we get into this topic of people and community and, and how the people we surround ourselves uh, play such a significant part in our spiritual formation, why don't you tell us, Phil, a little bit about yourself, first of all, and your yep. life. Yeah. Um, I'd love also just to hear about your journey in youth ministry yep. and a little bit about what it is you're doing now with the EA as well. So um, fill us in, Phil. Yeah, brilliant. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Phil Knox. Uh, I live in Birmingham and... Uh, as we're here in person, I can see behind you, Tim, there's a map of the UK. Yeah, I think is. there's little dots where there's lots of limitless groups. And there's a real big cluster around Birmingham. So I feel a great deep yeah. sense of pride <laughs> yeah, as a yeah. Brummie. So if you're listening from one of those groups in Birmingham, uh, then you're extra special. You're still also special if you're from one of the, the other dots. But I live in Birmingham. And I'm married to Danny or Danielle. Uh, and we've got two boys, Caleb, who is 
10, Joss, who is four, Caleb's love language is football, Joss's <laughs> love language is fighting, um, and uh, part of the leadership team of a local church there in Wonderful. a place called Quinton in Birmingham. Um, I support Aston Villa. Um, I'm an avid runner, but in your presence, I feel like uh, that's a little, uh, a, a bit of a big statement, sitting, <laughs> sitting opposite such an esteemed runner as yourself, Tim. Um, and uh, I'm an aspiring water skier. I say aspiring, I, I, uh, I do my best and fall in a lot. So, Re- uh, so yeah. how often are you water skiing? Oh, like not very often. Like just, I'm a very fair weather water skier. Okay. So just, just a little bit, just a few times through the summer. But uh, yeah, it's a little growing it's, hobby. It's something I've never done. Oh, mate, you'd love it. I, I would love it. I'll invite you. Come I, along. Like I, I, like when I was like teenager, um, particularly, I I loved skiing. Yeah. I did ski every year. Yeah. Um, on snow. But never done water skiing. So I, mean, I don't know how transferable the skills are. Because well, I imagine it's very, it's very, it's a very Christ-like skill because Why Je- is that? Jesus walked on water. Okay, right. So, yeah. you know, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be you like need Jesus, to get behind yeah. the boat. Talk, it's not very eco-friendly. <laughs> Speaking of discipleship and spiritual <laughs> formation, um, so, yeah. if Jesus walked on the water, then yeah, we've got to be like him. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So then youth ministry. Yeah. Um, I uh, Yeah, so I was once a young person. That was my first credential. <laughs> but, um, but I also worked for Youth for Christ for 13 years uh, I did a law degree once upon a time but then volunteered for Youth for Christ while I was a student then felt profoundly called to, to evangelism to young people mm. um, I was really profoundly impacted by the statement that it takes just one significant adult to to change the mindset worldview morality and future of just one young person um, and so volunteered for many years in my local church mm-hmm. uh, doing that and kind of served nationally as part of Youth for Christ um, saw thousands of young people give their lives to Jesus. It was a huge privilege, um, but then felt God called me probably about for five years or so ago uh, to serve the whole church. Um, so that led then to my kind of current job, working for the Evangelical Alliance nationally, inspiring the church. Mm. Uh, I'm now a missiologist and wow. evangelist, which means I study how people come to faith and try and help the whole church maximise those missional pathways. Um, alongside that, uh, I'm an author, so I've read a couple of books around um, how we help people share their faith uh, and how to, how to be the best of friends. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, on that basis, perfectly credentialed to be able to talk to us about this topic of, of the people we surround ourselves and the community uh, with and the, pe- the communities that we're a part of. So, let me, let me, put, let me put this tension at you, yeah. Phil, as a, as a starter for 10. Um, and it, I'd be really interested to hear how you think we navigate this tension as followers of Jesus and help young people to do the yeah. same. So the Proverbs, tell, Proverbs tells us, walk with the wise and become wise yeah. because the companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, so on the one hand, we've got this instruction in scripture, like look out for who you surround yourself with, because those people are influencing you. They're influencing yeah. you with one way or the other. So you want to surround yourselves with wise people because you want to become wise. You want to become you want to become like Jesus. Yeah. Surround yourself with people who are more like Jesus than you are, who will inspire you to take your you know a step up in your faith journey to become more like Him, who will inspire you to live wholeheartedly for Him and not to make compromises, all that kind of stuff. On the other hand, um, we also have a great commission over our lives to go and make disciples, uh, Matthew 28, um, and, and to go and to, to share our faith, to do the work of an evangelist. Yeah. And we can't do that if the only people that we surround ourselves with are people who are Jesus followers. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about how, how do we navigate that tension? How do we make sure that we are, on the one hand, 
being most influenced by people who are calling us up in God. Yeah. But on the other hand, being a, a an influence of faith and for the gospel to, to people who don't know him yet. Yeah, and right. I guess even to people who, you know, uh, you know, maybe they, they, they are Christians, but perhaps we've got a little bit more yeah. maturity. Yeah. Like the yeah. rest of us. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think, uh, so I got the, these two boys of mine, um, they go to Sunday school. And yeah. I, as you might imagine, Tim, I don't know how well you behave, you were behaved in, in Sunday school. But I Immac- always, immaculately. Yeah, I'm sure. Immaculately. Um, well, with my boys, they often, if I, t- I tell them, if you don't hear the question in Sunday school or you don't know the answer, 90% of the time, the answer is Jesus. Just yeah. put your hand up and say Jesus. And, uh, and again, I, I'm not sure of the answer to this question. So, but I think Jesus is a really great place to start, right? And so in terms of who did Jesus spend time with? Well, okay. first of all, walk with the wise. He spent time with wisdom himself, yeah. his father. So I think when yeah. we talk about, um, talk about who we spend time with, the first Jesus-shaped answer is we make sure that we, and when we disciple others, advise that they spend time with Jesus. Let's just set that as, a, yeah, as an abs- aside. Uh, yeah, Walk with the absolutely. wise, become wise, spend time with Jesus. Second thing that Jesus did is he he had a good balance, it seems, of people he spent time with who were kind of seemingly on the same page and walking with him, and people who weren't. So he was someone who invested in a few people, in disciples, we'll come on to that in a moment, but also Jesus was known as the friend of Sinners. Friend of sinners. Right. Yeah. So, so Jesus seemingly had this balance. So when we come to a, this question of, is it better to walk with Christians all the time or not yet Christians? The Jesus-shaped Christ-like answer is they're not mutually exclusive. We need to walk with both. So that goes for us as, as youth workers, as, as followers of Jesus. We need to have some friends who know Jesus, who we're walking with, who are sharpening us. And we also need to have people who we are friends with who are sinners who are outside the church family because we are salt and light and the best the most effective uh, way in which people come to faith in the UK at the moment I can tell you as a missiologist <laughs> is through a friend a neighbor a colleague or a family member mm. so not through a pastor not through a youth worker not through an evangelist yep. if we are to see the UK one for Jesus it's going to be through friendships relationships family members colleagues mm. neighbors mm. so my, my first encouragement to us is Let's be really intentional about investing in our friendships with those people who don't yet know Jesus. Yeah. And whatever we're doing to create cultures in our youth groups, to equip and inspire our young people to invest in their non-Christian friends and be good friends and create invitational cultures, which we'll come into in a moment, crank it up a notch. Yeah. Because that will, that will help the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. But we also need to be intentional about spending time with people who are with us on the same page, sharpeners. Yeah. It's a tension. We've yeah. got to live in that tension. Yeah. And is it, I, I think it's not like a cookie cutter thing, this, isn't right. it? It's not like I need to have X percent of my friends are Jesus yeah. followers and X percent. Because yeah. because it has to do, I guess, with perhaps it has to do often and particularly as we think about young people and how young people are transformed. Yeah. Like where our vices are in that particular moment of our spiritual journey. Because yeah. like if that young person knows or if we know that like. I, I just know that if I spend time with those people, then I'm going to end up yeah. drinking too much. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe this is a season in my life where I, I'm not able right. to be with those people. And I need to be with people who like have a handle on, yeah. you know, uh, you know, or, or who are trying to follow Jesus with what they drink or don't drink. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I really do. So is, is there something like is there some is there like a discernment thing that's kind of specific to our where we're at in our walk with Jesus yeah. about who we who we are able to and not able to like spend time with in that particular moment 
Well, let's let's zero back into Juice's relationships and specifically kind of his circles of friends. Yeah. I think as I as I explored and and researched friendship over the last few years, what I found yeah. is that um, basically the latest science backs up what Jesus knew all along. Okay. So there's this, got, there's that, this, this it, really yeah. uh, really influential uh, scientist around friendship called Robin Dunbar. Right. And he he had this kind of premise. He studied the the size of social groups. Um, for for monkeys, okay. And he, <laughs> what a job! So he he so he, Someone's he, he found this connection between the size of of the the brain in in certain types of monkeys and the size of their social grouping. So he thought, is it possible to map if we're finding a consistency amongst the size of brains? And the size of social grouping, and as the as the size of this bit of the brain grew, the size of the social grouping grew. What what does that brain size look like in humans, and how big might it be possible to have our kind of relational capacity? Basically, how many friends can we have at the top end? And what he found was is that we humans have a capacity for about 150 meaningful connections. That's not we should have 150 friends. It's not a formula, as you say. It's not cookie cutter. Yeah. But that is you basically you're going to struggle to maintain more than 150 meaningful yeah. friendships. And interestingly, the the kind of basic science backs this up. You know, you look at the number of uh, average Christmas card list is 148. Average size of a wedding in the UK 144. Average size of a village in 1086 was 150. Just six and 600 years later, that only increased to 160. Yeah. So there's something about us with 150. Then he asked, how many good friends can you have? And he found it was about 12. Then he asked, <laughs> how many great friends can you have? It was about three. And I'm reading this as a Christian. I'm like, that sounds really familiar. <laughs> that sounds familiar, that sounds yeah. really familiar. <laughs> because Jesus had the 12. In fact, you know, you might argue Jesus' greatest miracle wasn't the feeding of the 5,000. It was having 12 great friends in his 30s. You know, that, that, you yeah. might argue that was the kind of, that was his greatest achievement. Um, but also, when we read the Gospels, we find these kind of almost shocking moments where Jesus says to nine of his disciples, you stay there. And Peter, James and John, you come with me. Yeah. Jesus had an yeah. inner circle of three. Yeah. Which is a long way around of answering the question, who should be those people who we really spend time with? Well, Peter, yeah. James and John were people who he was on the same page with and, and following. So yeah. I think one of the things we should think about with our friends is who are the people who are really going to help us walk with Jesus? Yeah. Now, for me, most, in fact, all of those people for me in my inner circle right now are, are Christians. Yeah. Um, and for most of my life, they have been Christians. Mm. Interestingly, as a teenager, I had a bit of a balance and I wasn't as a bit of an evangelistic teenager. Most of my, most of my mates in that three weren't Christians, but two of them became Christians right. as I kind of journey with them. One of them is still following Jesus today. One of them isn't. Um, at that time, you, you had a robust enough yeah. faith that you were able to have that intimacy with those people and as you've just described, your influence wore off on them rather than the other way around. Yeah, I would also say, looking back, and I think theologically, I think that God connects us to the people we need to be with. Mm. I think one of the things that we don't often do when we think about our friends is we don't often pray about who we're, who God's going to connect us with. That's and I think we should do more of that. Mm. I think yeah, I love the moment of the cross. So Jesus, the Son of God, is dying for the sins of the world. And, and what does he do? He has this presence of mind moment where he's in physical agony, spiritual, the, the weight of sin is being born on his body in this moment. And what does he do? He, he, says, to, he says to John, here is your mother, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. to him, about his mum. Mm -hmm. And he says to his, says to his mother, here is your son. Yeah. 
at the cross, Jesus connecting people and making families. Mm. I think one of the beautiful things that God does is connect people. Mm. And I would say, looking back as a teenager, God connected me to the people around me. Mm. And I would say that's been my experience a lot, a lot through life, where I've just made these moments where I'm like, God, I think your hand's in there. Yeah. So, but again, back to the original premise, what should we do with our friends? We should really, with our, with our young people, we should really encourage them to pray as to who they're spending time with. Yeah. And we should pray for them that they would have good friends. So with my sons, one of the things I pray frequently is like, Lord, would you put great people around these, these boys as they yeah. grow up? And we need to pray that for, our, for those around us. Yeah, that's really good. How, how would you help young people to nav- navigate their friendship groups when... Like I think particularly when, um, like, you, you've seen it, Phil, you've done youth ministry for enough years, when um, bad company corrupts good yeah. character, right? And they're, they're ju- it's just really obvious that, yeah. the, that those people that they're hanging out with and the friendship group that they're in right now, is, is just, it's just not good for them. Yeah. And it's causing them, you know, to do all kinds of things yeah. that aren't in the way of Jesus. And as much as we might want to say, well, you know, be salt and light, it's just, yeah. it's just not, yeah. it's just not going to happen yeah. with where that young person is out, is at right now. Like, how would you counsel that young person? Would you speak to that directly and say you need to kind of think about who you're surrounding us? Like, how how would you, how would you help help a young people process that and to think about, think about their 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 circle of influence and their their friendships? Yeah, I think if you're being more influenced then you are influencing, mm. it, it's time to get out. Yeah. I think you have to think, we have to be direct yeah. about that, I really do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think I'm fortunate looking back on my teenage years, I wasn't in too many of those toxic situations. Yeah. Um, I can think of some friendship groups that I probably wanted to be in at school but wasn't cool enough to be in <laughs> that probably weren't, weren't good for me uh, at the time. I mean, the, the, I think part of the problem was I think I looked about 12 until I hit about 23. <laughs> so <laughs> so I was never going to get into a bar, a bar underage or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think, I think we, we, have to, we have to counsel people to... Yeah, have those diffi- make those difficult decisions mm. to get out and and recognizing the social cost within that, especially if people are popular. That's that's really difficult. We recognize that, but at the same time, yes. it's yeah. we gotta yeah. There's a there's a responsibility there, and whether they take us up on that advice or not is up to them. But I think yeah. So often, I think we overestimate our ability to influence without being influenced. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but but having said that, there are moments where we I think we can tread that fine line. If I think again, you back to, back to my experience, um, as I say, in the end, my my mates who I hung out with became Christians. Yeah. Stopped doing drugs. You know, Brilliant. we we were going dr- into, into drug dens. It was really funny. Like I'm good for the council day. Like my, <laughs> my mates would take me into like proper drug dens, and I'd be sitting there as the kind of chirpy, happy Christian. It was like yeah. I mean, you could, it's almost like a sitcom at times. What playing it back in my mind. And like my mates would go, you know, this this is Phil. He's, he's a Christian, but he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> like I had some kind of disease, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't going to rub off on them. In the end, it did. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I managed not to take drugs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And why? What? This is an interesting question, Phil. Because like, what is it that enables us to be those people who can be in those situations and not be easily persuaded and not be easily influenced? I remember because I remember like. When I, I remember when I was a teenager, I like I would go to the house parties and I was known yeah. for being the guy who didn't get drunk. Sober Tim. Right. 
Yeah, and I would, I would, I would, I would drink. Yeah. I, you know, and so I probably shouldn't admit that on a podcast because that's still underage drinking, yeah. right? So I would, I, I would, but I would have a beer or yeah. two. Yeah. But that would be it. Yeah. And all my friends, you know, the school party yeah. thing, they'd all be that getting hammered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'd all be getting hammered or whatever. Yeah. And like, off, like sometimes I would, I, I yeah. believe it or not, Phil, I used to DJ at the time, so I'd take my vinyl decks and like Come do on. all that. I remember one time. This is coming back to me now. Like because they all knew I was like the Christian guy. I remember, like, they gave me a slice of pizza, yeah. um, which which just had like crumbs of like marijuana on it to nice. try because they knew I was not yeah. gonna. Yeah. Like, it was so obvious that yeah. it was on the pizza because I was the guy probably who, cost them a fortune yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah, right. They knew I wasn't was going to be the guy who wasn't going to be smoking it, right? And as I think back on that, I never really. F- it never really felt like I never really felt like yeah. tempted to get hammered or yeah. Yeah. to smoke marijuana. Yeah. I did so like, but for, for other, for, for, you know, I don't mean this to be boastful. No. Right? It sounds like I'm blowing That's my own right. trumpet no, a little no. bit there. Needed good examples, but but for for for, for others of my friends, yeah. you know, they would be in those environments and immediately acquiesce under that yeah. kind of social pressure so what is what is it like what makes the difference what allows us to be the influencer rather than the influencee if you like what allows young people to to do that and step into that space we need a generation of daniels don't we yeah that's That's, it we need a generation of people who say i won't i won't defile myself yeah and i'm going to be the influencer here rather than the influence yeah i mean i i I don't know how fine the line is that's 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 an interesting question i think for me if i reflect on the other things that were going on for me as a teenager i had amazing parents yeah. Who were whole, wholeheartedly followers of Jesus. Right. Okay. That made a big difference. Yeah. I, uh, I had a quiet time every day. So I had good, I, you know, I had good, I had good disciplines. My dad made me learn Bible verses in the car on the way to school. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I also had a profound sense of, of mission. Yeah. So I yeah, didn't, you yeah. know, I think I had this sense in which yeah, I, I, remember that too. I, yeah. I wanted, I, I, I knew the best thing I could do for my mates was to introduce them to Jesus. Yeah. And I thought, I guess I thought that if I, you know, if I got, if I messed up, they would have a less, they would have less of a chance of meeting Jesus. Yeah. And I think so probably one of the reasons, and I didn't get it right all the time, you know, no, I, no, I messed, yeah. up, messed up with the rest of us. But, but I, I think most of the time, the reason I got that right was a, a kind of prof- profound yeah. desire for wanting to see them become disciples. I think that's so interesting that you spoke about, you know, you had that, your parents, so again, you had the closest relationships you had were were a positive influence helping you to follow Jesus, but also that daily time you had with God meant that your roots went down deep. And so, you know, your faith was robust enough to be able to withstand some of that. kind of temptation and in that sense of purpose too i think those are three really interesting things yeah, yeah that's it well i guess yeah it's the the people like we're talking about the people the people we're surrounding ourselves and having those, those closest relationships influences mm. us strongly that intimacy with jesus having our roots deep mm. in him and having a sense of calling and purpose and being part of his mission you know we're not just there to kind of survive and hang on as christians yeah. we'll be there to be salt and light yeah. those are three really interesting things that yeah you know, I think could help us to be those influencers. It's really good. Um, Phil, um, we, I think all listening have something in common and that we want to create youth ministry environments where 
among our young people, it's like a sense of iron sharpens iron, you mm. know? Um, and it's it's not us, like, calling the young people up all the time. Mm. It's the young people themselves with a bit of fire in their heart for yeah. God and, um, you know, call, calling one another to account yeah. and, and, and encouraging one another to yeah. wholeheartedly pursue and follow Jesus. That's what we long for in our youth ministries, right? Yeah. Like we want, we don't want it, it to be apathy, kind of producing apathy. We yeah. want it to, you know, to be, you know, passion for God, producing passion for God. How do we take steps towards creating those environments in our youth ministries, Phil? How, how do we create those kind of groups where, where it is really that sense of iron sharpens iron yeah. and helping one another to follow Jesus? Yeah. Um, I wonder whether the first thing we do is we lean back into that Jesus investing in a few people. So we think about Jesus. We've, we've talked about Jesus, the friend, having a kind yeah. of the, the kind of concentric circles of three and 12 and 150. Um, I wonder whether we think into lean into Jesus, the youth worker mm. and those circles. Yeah. So uh, John Stark, the late John Stark said that the disciples are most likely aged between 15 and 22 which right. means that our model for youth ministry is also Jesus, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and and encouraging to think that Jesus ran a bit of a youth group and knew what it was like to work with teenagers. I find, yeah. I find that comforting. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, thank you for all that you do with young people. It makes a huge difference. And and you're being really Christ-like, even more Christ-like than water skiing, and walking the water. <laughs> uh, you working with young people is, is incredible. Um, so in terms of those circles... I was reflecting uh, about on what my youth worker did with me when I was probably kind of 15. Um, he got me and this other lad in our youth group who were probably the kind of going for it ones. And we would meet like, probably like 7 a.m. on a mm. on Wednesday morning. Um, you know, I think we had even took our cereal to the church or something. It was like a bit like it was pretty hardcore. We'd do a Bible study. I still remember some of the messages from those Bible studies wow. now. And I, I wonder whether looking back, I don't know, I'd have to ask him. But I wonder whether one of the things he was doing is he was trying to kind of create a, a deeper fire in us. Uh, those of us who were prepared to get up at seven in the morning to do a Bible study yeah. so that we would rub off on the others. Yeah. kind of within the youth group yeah. and I think probably I don't know how strategic that was it could have been an absolute stroke of genius it could have been coincidence knowing him probably was a stroke of genius but but actually I wonder whether some of the thing we can do is, is identify who are those Daniels yeah. right? so who are the people who aren't going to go out, who are going to go to parties yeah. and try and be salt and light and how do we invest in them disproportionately yeah. in the same way that Jesus invested in Peter, James and John yeah. and interestingly day of Pentecost who stands up it's Peter in front of the crowd yeah. Right. And, and and who's who's the disciple Jesus loved? It, it, it's John. Yeah. So I just wonder whether that was Jesus' strategy in terms of how he influenced the twelve. Yeah. Who, you know, clearly when you look at the Judases and the Thomases of this world, weren't the on weren't necessarily as on fire as mm -hmm. Peter, James, and John. So that's probably not a bad, bad strategy. That, like disproportionate investment yeah. in those ones who are really going yeah. going for it. That yeah. You can I, really call yeah. It. yeah. Maybe. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Just reflecting <laughs> on my own experience. And then um, uh, I think, but I think the other thing we can we can all do is we can. Uh, make sure that we're on fire ourselves. Yeah. So if we think about the coal at the center of the fire, yeah. I think one of the deep, one of the ways in which the enemy will try and distract us is by dampening our flame, yeah. so that we turn up to to our weekly group, uh, just 
stressed, haggard, Jaded. don't want to be there. Yeah. You know, having, having not spent time in God's presence, mm. not being on fire ourselves. Mm. You know, we, we we're tempted mm. to present half truths and 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 not be our authentic selves yeah. in those moments. Um, I I think that's a real. I think that's we so have such true. responsibility in that yeah. area. Yeah, I like to say that we replicate around us what we cultivate yeah. within us. Right, love that. And so, yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Like making sure that we've that our own spiritual disciplines yeah. and you know our our own walk with God and our yeah. own passion for Jesus. Yeah. yeah, how do we do that, Phil? How do we? Yeah. So how I do mean, we keep our spiritual thermostat just, turned up? But again, just leaning into that. So, yeah. so in terms, of if we want our young people in our youth groups to be reaching their friends, yeah, how are we modelling that? Right. So in terms of the stories that we tell, are, are we telling stories of hanging out with not yet Christian friends? Mm. Um, and if we're not, how do we find moments to try and develop those relationships so we we can be a good friend to those around us? And, and that so t- kind yeah. of telling some of those stories. I think there's also, if we're talking about wanting our young people to be to be vulnerable and stand out, how do we tell? How do we tell those stories about not only what we were like when we were teenagers, but what we're like now. Right. When good, we when yeah. we're in those environments and and, and, yeah. and seeking to be salt and light at at, at work if at work if we're a volunteer or, yeah. or in spaces with our mates down the pub yeah. or or in whatever context we find ourselves in. Um and 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 how do we how do we uh, how do we share those in a in a way that's appropriate? Yeah. But also in ways that are really winsome and say, yeah. you know, when we encourage our young people to pray for their friends who don't you know Jesus, we've got a few names who we're regularly praying for. Right. Um, that's. I think that's so good, and it's the. It 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 it's the great trap for the professional Christian, isn't it? it? So if you're the youth, yeah. you know, not not everyone listening to this will be in this situation, but for the youth worker who's full time employed, yeah. like it's so easy to wake up one day yeah. and look around and realize, yeah, oh, all my friends are Christians. Yeah. And uh, you know. We we're in this trap now. Suddenly, telling our telling our congregants, yeah. whether we're the senior leader or the youth worker, yeah. like, hey, invite your non-Christian mates yeah. to like the Christmas yeah. thing or to the Alpha thing or to the outreach thing, and yeah. we don't have any of those yeah. to invite, you know. Yeah. And so I think that's really, yeah, you're, you're, and, spot, you're spot on. There. And telling stories of failure as well as success, absolutely. So that's yeah. and I think that's and the sense of journey. So. Hopefully, we've all got a champagne story <laughs> of when one of our mates made a significant step towards Jesus. But we also need to tell the stories of just the grind, yeah, and the disaster. Just, yeah. So, you know, next weekend, I'm best man at a wedding for one of my mates. And I'm, he has had three miracles in his life. Still doesn't follow Jesus. I'm like, I'm the worst evangelist yeah. in the world. How has that not happened yet? Um, and and so so I want to be able to tell those stories as well as the ones where Absolutely, actually friends, yeah, have, good, friends yeah. have come to faith. But also the persevering moments yeah. of saying, you know, when, when we've done research into friendship, one of the most, I think something like 41% of people who say, when, who, when they were asked, where did you meet your friends, said at school. Yeah. So some of the friendships that exist within our youth groups between them and their peers, yeah, will go on well into adulthood and beyond. Yeah. So what they do now, the way they behave now, the mm-hmm. invitations mm-hmm. they extend now, the stories they tell now about their faith in Jesus, will have fruit years down the line. Yeah, that's the good. friend on best mat, the friend that's on his best his wedding at is next weekend. I was at school with him. Met him as a <laughs> met him at primary school, then went to secondary school with him. We're still friends. I, I, I've got a guy who uh, who I'm uh, meeting up with on Zoom at the moment, who was I was at university with 20 years ago, nowhere with Jesus then, but reached out to me about three years ago, 
and said, mate, I, 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 know, I know you're a Christian. I've begun to really wrestle with questions of meaning and purpose. Can you help me? Wow. And, and I said, no. Yeah. I said, no. <laughs> I'm a bit busy. Yeah. So, we've, so we've, been, we've been reading together uh, John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination, Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. Why? Because he is the most stressed out. He, is re- he has a relentless job. And, and I think good news for him is Jesus rest for his soul. Yeah. So we're reading that together. Recently he said, mate, I've started, I've started praying and, and like reading the Bible a bit. And I'm like, well, that's exciting. Yeah. And I think there's a, so, so I think that, but that started, you know, maybe 20 years ago yeah. when I sought to just follow Jesus at mm. uni. Yeah. Um, and I think, so I think we need to encourage our young people that Jesus can change your life in an instant. But it may be that decades yeah. down the line. It's really good. We see people come to It's fight. really good. So let me just circle uh, back a little moment there to where we spoke about, you know, kind of we replicate in kind, right? So um, what are the things for you, Phil? What are the things that you think are crucial for, for, for the leader, for the follower of Jesus, just to keep our own, mm. yeah, that spiritual thermostat turned up yeah. on hot. Like, what, what are the things that we need to give attention to to make sure that we don't become apathetic and cynical yeah. and, 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 and have that rub off on our, our young people? Yeah. I, I think for me, I, I, I've certainly not had this nailed for as long as I would like, but I think there's a kind of, there's a duty and, and a delight when it comes to, to spending time with, with Jesus. And mm-hmm. so for me, Every morning I will get up and virtually the first thing I will do is after I've made myself a coffee <laughs> yeah. uh, is, is to spend some time with Jesus. Yeah. And that, that is, to some extent it varies a little every day depending on, on what I'm doing. But, but um, interestingly for me, I'm quite distractible. Um, so I actually pray quite liturgically. I've got yeah. kind of some set prayers that I kind of go through and find that really helpful. Yeah. Um, and that's a bit of the discipline. Yeah. And then there are other moments where it's where I'm much more kind of bit of journal, um, bit of silence. Yeah. I love I love being outdoors. This time of year is gorgeous for me, Tim. So yeah. Sat in the garden, just spending time, kind of in quiet. Um, it's not natural to me. I'm not a very good monk. Um, <laughs> but I. But that I, I can't go without that daily moment mm. within the word because I think the challenge for all of us is we all are so tempted to make God into our own image. Mm. We all want God to be kind of like us. Mm. Um, and the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. Mm. And so in terms of our relationship with God, in terms of getting to know him, yeah. and, and also put fire in our bones. Yes. So at the moment, I'm like deep in Psalm 23, mm. studying it for about the last month. And I'm like, I'm just broken by it. I was like, I'm not embarrassed to say it. I was on a train last week. And I'm reading again about God creating, uh, making a table for us in the presence of our en- enemies. And I'm like, I just stopped crying on this train. I think <laughs> people think I'm having some kind of breakdown of the sins in the people around the table. Mate. And I'm just, I, I'm just reminded of the storm around us, the enemies around us. And yet in the midst of it, the I am of God makes a table for us and wants to be with us. Yeah. I think that it's 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 that but without the regular time of spending time with Jesus, I don't I don't get those moments. I don't get the fire. Mm. Um and, and I think and then I think within that kind of keeping sharp in terms of just being open to what God's doing in conversations, taking the occasional risk. Um as I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I do run and as I run so often uh, God prompts me to pray for someone on the street and I'll 
I'd be like, no, God, I'm a, I'm a reluctant evangelist at times. <laughs> and, and I, but over the last few years, I felt God say, you know, I, I just, just go and go and pray with that person. Yeah. And Jed, you know what? Sometimes, honestly, I bottle it, but then there have been, I've lost count of the amount of times where I've just gone up to them and said, really sorry to bother you. I'm a Christian. As I run, I pray for people and I really feel God wanted me to pray with you this morning. Is there anything I can pray for today? Yeah. Only two people in the last few years have ever said no. Most people are like, wow, yeah. So, you know, so even like, you know, the other day I prayed with this guy on a bench and had this mate, he was so grateful. He just kept saying thank you. But for me, there's those moments where I'm out completely out of my comfort zone. Even as an evangelist, yeah. I'm out of my comfort zone. Those moments. And it just keeps you sharp. It just yeah. keeps me sharp. And yeah. I think, so I think finding those regular moments of discipline and delight, but also those moments that yeah. just you step out and you might fall. That's and really sometimes good. you do. Yeah. But that's okay. It's really good. I love that, Phil. All right, uh, just one more question. Yeah. Um, as it comes to this idea of you know the people with whom we surround ourselves yeah. and uh, how they influence us for better or for worse to become more or less like Jesus. Uh, with with that in mind, Phil, how how important do you think intergenerational relationships are in the lives of young people? Like, h- how important is it for for our young people to have relationships uh, with Godly uh, women and men who are, you know, older, further on the journey, who can be spiritual parents, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, yeah. spiritual grandparents yeah. uh, to them. Like, how, how important do you, do you think that is in terms of like our kind of faith formation in, in, into Christ likeness? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, from an um, academic perspective, uh, it, the David Kinnaman, who many, would have, many of us will have heard of in the mm. States, done a lot of research. Um, and he, he's done a lot of kind of negative research, a book called uh, You Lost Me, looks at why yeah. young people and young adults yeah. leaving the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did a book called Faith in Exile mm-hmm. uh, with a guy called uh, Mark Matlock. And, and what that did is it looked at the, the features of what they found to be resilient disciples. So it's kind of like the antidote to You Lost Me. This right. looked at what are the characteristics and features in, in disciples which yeah. makes them not just be christians not just tick the box on a census yeah but to be the ones who are on fire so what yeah. the, the peter james and john's this world the daniels this world yeah those are absolutely going for it those in our youth groups who into their 20s and beyond are still following jesus wholeheartedly and positively influencing the culture around them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and one of those features is that they had intergenerational friendships yeah and I think we, we often think that the average youth worker, what we look for in a youth worker, and many of the people listening to this will be that kind of older brother in their 20s, maybe 30s like figure. I remember when I joined Youth for Christ a lifetime ago, 2006, uh, we'd just done some research that asked a thousand young people what they looked for in a youth worker. So it's a little out of date, but I think it's probably still true. 85% said a parent or a grandparent-like figure. And I think we well, often, ass- high, isn't it? We often assume we yeah. often assume that what young people want is that kind of cool youth worker, 20s, do you know what I mean? Knows, knows the yeah. same music, plays the same computer games, when certainly then, and probably is still true now, actually that, that intergenerational piece is critical. Yeah. And Couldn't so, you know, for, you know back, to, back to me when I was a teenager, there was this old lady who she felt like she was ancient then but she can't have been that old because she's still alive now <laughs> and she was a really significant part of the youth team then 
she still prays for me regularly. Now, wow. she must be at like at least 130. <laughs> um, and, uh, and sorry, Janet, if you're listening, and I'm really sorry. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so I think that I think it's abs- absolutely critical. Again, in the Bible, look at the intergenerational models for us. You oh, know, yeah. Elijah, Elisha, Paul, Timothy, Jesus, the disciples, mm-hmm. um, that Moses and Jethro. I love the kind of that that intergenerational mm-hmm. piece as well. Um, I think it's I think it's so important, and uh, whatever we can do to bring as as those responsible for youth ministry, bringing older people into into serve and help, um, even if it's initially just running the tuck shop. And then we kind of draw them in and lure them in to do a little bit more. That really helps. I remember one profound series that we did around spiritual gifts with our youth group, probably about 10 years ago, where we uh, we identified those in our church family who kind of were passionate or demonstrated that spiritual gift. And we brought them into talk. What about a brilliant it. idea. Brilliant. And it what just, a brilliant idea. you know, so we brought someone in whose gift was administration and 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 prophecy and, and healing and just got them to talk, just interviewed them about it. And I think I think some of them ended up serving on youth team because they were like, oh, I could do this. Yeah. Uh, but those yeah. those friendships are just yeah. are just critical. Um, yeah, so true. Yeah. And and it it's not just about like having those you know spiritual parents, spiritual grandparents being on the teams for our youth ministry. It's yeah. The the flip side of that is also ensuring that our youth ministry isn't a mono generational right. silo yeah. that never integrates. Yeah with yeah. a wider church family yeah. right so how how we encourage um yeah how, how we yeah right yeah yeah uh, i mean the, the other thing we did which was just genius it wasn't my idea so i couldn't you know credit it elsewhere is you know how you get those aid charities that kind of partner you with the child in the third world and you pay a monthly fee to help that child go to school. Yeah. And then you write them a letter. Yeah, yeah. And there's a kind of two-way conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, we did that with our youth group once mm. upon a time. And the deal was we, we partnered every young person in the youth group with an older person in church. And the older person even filled up profile forms and everything, put a photo on the top, uh, just like the kind of, those kind of projects. And the deal was that the young person had to say hello to the older person in church. That was like, that was like that was their all they had to do. <laughs> the older person had to pray for the young person. When the young person said hello, they had to say hello back. And the older person gave a pound a month to help that young person go on their summer like youth camp or whatever. With inflation, you can make that a fiver now because that was a, it was a while ago. So in your churches, how about starting a program I where love each that. young person has an older person who prays for them, uh, gives a few quid a month to help them go to Limitless in the summer. And and then and then the young person's deal is when they see that older person, they've got to say hello. That was a really helpful way. And I think we heard a story not that long ago of a young person who was now in their late 20s who still had a connection with their sponsor parent uh, from uh, from 2012 or whatever. It's great. I love that. It's That's such a good idea. A really kind of... Yeah, intentional way to foster those intergenerational yeah. R- relationships. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Phil, thank you so much. Really helpful conversation. Um, before we go, 
the best of friends. Yeah. That's your book on this on on this subject. Tell us a little bit about it and you know where people can get hold of that. Yeah, so I became passionate about friendship out of a real place place of pain. So I had a terrible pandemic. My first book, Story Bearer, How to Share Your Faith with Your Friends, came out at March 2020, the week all the bookshops closed. I can't tell you how discouraged and disappointed I was. <laughs> and then um, a few weeks after that, we found out that my mum uh, who uh, had been battling cancer for about six months, we found out that cancer was terminal. Mm. And so then she graduated to glory, uh, went to be with Jesus on the 8th of June 2020. And two things got me through probably the, the lowest season of my life, faith and friendship. Mm. I remember who was there for me. We, we didn't cook a meal for three months. Uh, we uh, were so well looked after. And, and it was, this was at a time of social distancing, which for many led to social, social isolation. Mm. So the Lord's just captivated me with friendship. So I've written this book about the power of friendship, uh, how good it is for us. It really is better to eat kebabs with friends than salad on your own. Um, <laughs> then we look at the pressure on friendship, how the cultural forces in our world are completely against uh, creating and connecting mm. and cultivating great relationships. Mm. Um, but then we look at the way that the example of Jesus, so some of the stuff we've talked about, about his intentional circles of influence. Then we look a bit about intergenerational friendship. We look at Moses and Jethro, what their right. relationship yeah. is like and the importance of that. So it's a great book for youth workers. And finally, we look at friendship with God. So what's been really exciting since launching the book um, is that it turns out the world is so desperate for a conversation about friendship they'll even have an evangelical Christian talk about it. So I've had some amazing opportunities with the BBC and newspapers and all kinds of things to be able to speak to the world about this. But what's beautiful about that is, is that I then as an evangelist get to talk about the fact that Jesus in John 15 says, I have called you friends. Yeah. One of the greatest gifts of friendship is that God extends mm. his gift to us. Um, and, uh, and so that's the book. I would love you to pick it up. It's called The Best of Friends. Love Choose it. wisely, care well. Yeah. Available wherever. Books Available are sold. wherever you get your books. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And Phil, if people want to stay in touch with you on socials, where, how do they do yeah, that? Yeah, come and find me. Um, uh, philnox.co.uk. Uh, there's a con contact page on there. Um, and then socials at philnox on Twitter, uh, at Mr. Philnox on threads and Instagram. On threads? I know. I'm so I'm early adopter. Well, I was, it was, I, was, I was on the radio on the morning thread started doing a little news review and was talking about the fact that threads had started. And the host said, you're going to get across and I'm like well I have to now don't I <laughs> so, so I have joined threats there you, there you go there you go fantastic Phil thank you so very much for all your wisdom for your insight for joining us on the Limitless Leisure Podcast today beautiful to be with you thanks so much for all you do not only Tim here at Limitless but also what you do all you youth workers out there you're doing an amazing job thanks so much yeah absolutely yeah to all of you guys who are listening uh, just keep going the smile of God's over your life what you're doing is so important and you are that person for your young people you are that person who, who's who's running with god who's, who's showing them what christ likeness looks like you are that person who, who's that wise person for them to be around and for them to look up to so thank you for being that person in the lives of young people um yeah we just want you to know that what you're doing is so important guys so keep going okay. keep going don't 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 give up we will see you next time on the Limitless Leadership Podcast.